Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. continuing today our Lenten worship series about rebuilding the temple, coming back from exile. And we are going back to the prophetic texts of the Old Testament to find how God prepared God's people to come back from a time when they felt exile. They were literally taken from their promised land and taken into Babylon They're hoping to be reprogrammed, and they're hoping to be able to come back after this time. That what they would find is that no matter what others had done to them, that their relationship and foundation in God would be stable and consistent, constant, even in the midst of their exile. They longed for the day when they would come home. And unfortunately, the prophet Jeremiah was one of God's servants that was tasked with not only reminding them that God was still their God and still with them, even though things felt, looked, and seemed very different, but that the time was coming when God would call them back and the exile would end. And in their lifetime, this was a 70-year exile. That was very long for them. Several generations had been born and raised in captivity at this point so that not just those that were adults went into exile, but they had children there and some of their children had children. And now we hear from the prophet Jeremiah that God is calling them to rethink who they are. A change in identity is not an easy thing to consider or to wrestle with, uh, to fundamentally change how you understand yourself. Now, that's not something that I have had to radically do. I was born and baptized into the United Methodist Church. I was raised in the United Methodist Church. I was confirmed into the United Methodist Church. And even all along when I was running from my call to ordained ministry in the United Methodist Church, I still went to United Methodist Churches. So in one capacity, I have always thought of myself as a United Methodist, shifting from a role as a layperson into the role as ordained clergy was a transition for me and one that I didn't always joyfully embrace and want to do. But it didn't shift my idea that I was a Methodist. What did shift for me was that I thought I had an understanding of how I would interact with the world. And you might be thinking, Methodists should interact with the world. Absolutely, we should. But when I was younger, I had a different understanding of what that looked like. And I thought that the way I was really going to impact the world was in a vocation as an oceanographer. And that was my passion. I loved researching and learning about sharks. And I was very excited over the potential and the possibilities over using research on sharks to see why sharks don't get cancer. Could we change the world and make people healthier and safer by starting to engage medical science and oceanography? All of these things circled in my head, and I wanted to be an oceanographer. I had actually taken courses and gone to a marine lab in high school, and it had been my hope that that would be my future. And so when God said to me, no, you are not going to be an oceanographer, I, like most clergy, rebelled against that. No, this is who I want to be. I want to be... I know, I want to study sharks. And God was like, okay, no, 
Uh, that's not what we're going to do. And like most people in the Bible, when they find out God wants them to do something, I had a hissy fit. And so now that I'm here, and I am clearly not an oceanographer, it is a struggle for me to recognize that there had to be a shift in how I thought, not just about myself, but how I thought about what my work in the world was going to be. What kind of interaction was I going to have with the world and people in it at God's command? And this is what Jeremiah is asking exiled people to do. It's a hard and difficult thing to think about shifting things even more. Most of us feel like our lives are so radically shifted already because of the circumstances of a global pandemic that it's hard to think, okay, can we just try to deal with one thing at a time and now God wants us to think about the church and what our missions and ministries may look like and what it's like to be the body of Christ? You almost have overload just trying to cope with the change. That's why in God's infinite wisdom, God started having this conversation with them while they were still in exile. You'll notice that this is chapter 23 that I just read to you. However, our opening liturgy had the most often quoted piece of Jeremiah, which comes several chapters later in chapter 29. There God boldly proclaims, and many Jews and Christians and Muslims have quoted, from verse 11, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. And we hear that and that makes us feel good that God is thinking about us and making plans so that we can be healthy and joyful once more. However, for us to engage in those plans can be scary, it can be anxiety-ridden, it can be difficult because change is not always easy. But God was asking God's people to shift how they understood themselves. For generations after, gen I mean, just countless generations and hundreds and hundreds of years, those people that had come out of exile had always thought of themselves first and foremost as a liberated people that God had taken their ancestors, their both religious and genetic ancestors, out of a 400-year bondage and slavery in Egypt and brought them out and then helped them to come into the promised land, which would be their sanctuary for all time. But instead, all of a sudden, the prophet Jeremiah is saying, you will no longer be those people. Instead, you will be a people who are now those that were once scattered in many different places, and God is going to bring you back. And there you will now be a people who had been in exile and were now reclaimed, returned home. In fact, this is the spirit of what Jesus says when Jesus says that God seeks out the one lost sheep. Jesus is referencing this, that God will go to other nations and other territories and find those that had been lost in exile and bring them back. God is proposing here in the prophet Jeremiah a solution and a loving response, not just to the Babylonian exile, which was affecting the southern kingdom of Judah, but also the forgotten northern kingdom of Israel that had already lost countless persons to the conquering and colonization process of Assyria, a nation that had preceded Babylon. 
Assyria conquered the northern kingdom and practiced by taking groups of people and putting them all over their empire. And there they kind of lost their cohesion, their identity, their culture, and their religious unity. And placed other people there in the northern kingdom. Those people that would adopt some of the practices of the Israelites and the Jews. Those people that Jesus refers to as Samaritans. So there is a long history of God's people not being where God wanted them to be. Together, gathered together in the beautiful promised land. Instead, they found themselves in other nations and in other countries, and they felt lost and abandoned. And they thought, our God is only a God that liberates. Our God is only a God that breaks the hand of the oppressor and looses the chains of the oppressed. But instead, God was saying, I am that. But you're about to see me in a whole new way. You're about to see me as the one who is willing to go to the ends of the earth to find you and bring you back. You are about to discover that I am the God that knows you, loves you, and cares about you, and is not willing to leave you out there. I want you with me in this holy place that I promised to your ancestors long before the exodus from Egypt. And that's a glimpse Many of my colleagues know what it is like to go through this transition. I have countless friends in clergydom who had an entirely different first career. One of my dearest friends with whom I went through the ordination process had been in the Navy and had worked his way through the ranks to master chief and had been very successful there and enjoyed the whole life around the entire culture of the Navy until God said, it's time for you to become a shepherd. It's time for you to become clergy. I know of another colleague who I have so much respect for who had a wonderful career as a pilot for a commercial global airline. And he flew the skies and helped to get people around the world until one day God said, it's time for you to land your plane and come and tend my flocks in new places. So they know what it's like to transform their fundamental understanding of their vocation and what they were called to do in the world and how they were going to serve God. But here we hear of the people of Israel having to do the same thing and it rocks their world. But this is who we are. An entire week of our liturgical calendar is spent around celebrating the Passover, the commemoration and the acknowledgement, the remembrance of God's exodus and the way that God brought us out of Egypt. And now you want us to shift to, to what? We, we haven't even done this yet. You're telling us that we're going to be some new people that we don't even understand what this is going to look like or feel like or what are the practical mechanics of getting out of Babylon and getting back there? We don't even have a temple. How are we going to do any of this? But they've missed the point. It wasn't that their true core of their identity was that they were descendants of slaves. It's not that the true core of their identity was that once a long time ago, before any of these people ever existed or were ever thought of in their family's eyes, that their people had come from Egypt and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and then entered into the promised land. What was the core of their identity was that God claimed them. God claimed them as God's people. That's why God heard them crying out from their oppression under the slavery and bondage of the Egyptians. God loved them. That's why God saved them from the plagues in Goshen. That's why God wanted them to come into the promised land where there they could be free to worship and be God's people. And that hasn't changed at all. 
It is that notion that God knows us and loves us and cares for us and seeks to provide for us that God is saying to those same people and to us today, you have been scattered and exiled and I yearn to bring you back. Now that doesn't mean that everything is going to go exactly back to how it was before. And it didn't. Not in the scriptures, not in the archaeological record, not in reality. Did the people that went into exile come back the same? Their name even changed. They went into exile as Israelites. They came back as Jews. And things had started to change and God had started to give them new things and new ways of being, new ways of exploring their religion. Yes, they were going to come back and build that temple one more time in Jerusalem, a place where all of their people from all over the world, not just all over Israel, could gather and come and experience no less than three times a year what it is to have the presence of God be very manifest there and to make your offerings and to receive forgiveness and experience God's grace. But they had developed another practice. They came back and all over the northern and southern kingdoms, they built houses of learning. They built what we call synagogues. And there, each week, the word of God was proclaimed. The Torah scrolls were read. The pro prophets were proclaimed. And there, people heard the teachings of those texts so that they could grow in their knowledge and wisdom and understanding of who God is, who they are, and what God wants from them. That's the very foundation of the sermon. And those synagogues were built then all over the country when they came back, and they are built all over the world today. Places where God's people gather together to hear God's word, to be enlightened as to what God wants them to do with that incredible gift, and then encouraged and cemented into a family, a family of faith. And we continue that tradition. But we have always thought of ourselves in one kind of way. But now, even in the midst of this pandemic and the exile that it has brought upon us, we have begun to rethink how ministry and mission function, how they look, how they sound, and how they feel. But the most important thing is that we want to look at how they will be most effective moving forward. Will we always have an opportunity to connect with people who cannot physically be in this space? I hope so. Will we look for ways in which we can not just think about our churches as buildings that were made with hands and bricks, but things that are even more eternal, because they are built with the things of heaven. They are built with relationships. They are built with a desire to bring forth justice and righteousness, peace and harmony among all people. Do we start to rethink how we approach mission and ministry in our Lord and Savior's name and who we are reaching out toward, who we are inviting and enveloping to become part of our family of faith? What does the manifested body of Christ in the world look like after a global pandemic. Now, some of us are going, you know, there's a lot going on right now, and perhaps we can just kind of tuck this away and talk about it later. But when does later come? If tomorrow the federal government, the state government, and the local government suddenly lifted all the restriction and said the pandemic is over, go back about your lives, what do we do? Do we pretend as if nothing has happened? Do we pretend that over half a million deaths 
has no impact on how the church feels and functions? Do we pretend that almost a solid year of isolation and no in-person worship has not changed how we think about ourselves and how we think about what our purpose is for one another? Do we really want to pretend as if nothing has happened? Periodically throughout the scriptures, God's people go through prolonged periods of undesirable circumstances. 400 years in Egypt, 40 years wandering as transient nomadic people, itinerant people in the wilderness, 70 years of exile in Babylon. God constantly takes those time periods with earthly circumstances and where human sin has manifested itself in prolonged suffering of God's people and chooses to bring forth transformation. The same people who were so loved that God heard them and did something about their circumstances in Egypt are the same people that God sees suffering in exile and yearns to bring back to God's self so that their relationship, their religion, and their place in the world being fruitful and multiplying would happen. And we are the next chapter in that story. We are going to be coming back out of isolation. And it's probably not going to be tomorrow. I don't know that it will be next month. But we have to start thinking and praying and engaging in holy conversation now so that we are ready. It will take God through the work of the prophet Jeremiah and other prophets years to get these people even looking toward coming back. I hope we don't have to wait years here in the body of Christ. So we need to work on this now. We need to hear that the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to us today so that chapter 29 verse 11 is true. That we and other people who didn't consider themselves to be known or loved from God will discover when we return that, yes, God has plans for them too. Plans to help them and not to hurt them. So that we who dedicate ourselves to serving in the name of Jesus Christ, loving in the name of Jesus Christ, forgiving in the name of Jesus Christ, can show them with our words and our actions, our missions and our ministries, our very lives proclaiming that we too want to help them and not harm them. That kind of radical shift and how we proclaim ourselves to the world will take time. And if we pray and, pray and prepare and discern and design how we will come back, it makes it more likely that God's plans and our own plans will be effective, fruitful, and multiply those that come to realize what you and I know, that we are children of God. We are beings of sacred worth created in the image of our God endowed with dignity and loved, not just because of what we can do for God in the church, but loved for who we are, God's. And because of that, we have been forgiven. Because of that, we can be liberated. Because of that, God will always look for us, even when we choose to get lost. God will look for us, come to us, gather us together, and allow us to remember
that at the foundation of all 66 books of the Bible, at the foundation of every prophetic utterance, at the foundation of all four gospel accounts of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is the holy, eternal truth that God knows us, loves us, and claims us. And that should be the next step for the church of Jesus Christ, of the United Methodist Church, of the Virginia Annual Conference, of Crozet United Methodist Church. But the church that lives in the hearts of all of those that recognized what a gift it is to be loved and received, forgiven every time we ask for God's grace. It is our time to discover where we go from here. It's not just back to the way things were. There are things that we did as a church and as a people and as individual disciples that should not be revived. They should stay in the tomb. There are new things that we had never considered before, things that we have developed in the midst of these trying circumstances that God will continue to perfect and use to build a bright and beautiful future for others. And this is the time for us to start to wonder with joy and anticipation what our place will be and sharing this new vision of the same people being loved, but learning to love others in a new, powerful, and transformative way. May it be so. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.